Well, good morning, Alice Drive. Whether you're in a room or online, I hope you're doing good. I hope you're staying warm if you're in this part of the country, the state. Uh, really quick, before we get started, I got a call from our senior pastor, Pastor Clay, around 7.15 this morning that he thinks he might have like a stomach bug or something and that he needed me to preach here at 8.30. So we are going in... Uh, yeah, so we're going in with the Holy Spirit juice today, all right? That being said, before I say one more word, do you mind if we pray real quick? Let's do that. God, uh, I thank you for uh, just who you are, how uh, nothing catches you off guard. We do pray for our pastor that you would bring him um, quick recovery. God, I pray right now that anything I say um, will just be forgotten, but your truth is what's going to remain. I, I once again just want to thank you for the sufficiency found in you. I thank you for the comfort found in knowing you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you, were, uh, if you were here last week, then hopefully you caught the ball that Pastor Clay threw called. This year we're talking about what it means to have hope. What it means for us as a church to be a year of hope. Because we believe that if, if we can really grasp what it means to be a people of hope, that cannot help but influence the community around us. And not just for the benefit of the community, but to point to Jesus. And the way we're doing that is we're, we're really leaning into this one verse, and we want this to be like our life verse, if you will, as a church. So I just want to read it real quick, because last week we all said it together. This week what I want to do is I want to read it, and I just want you to hear it. I want you to just sit in it and say, okay, how real is this in my life right now? This is Romans 15.3. This is our memory verse for the year, if you will. Ready? It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is an encouraging verse. Now let me ask you a question to it. How do we even begin to do that, right? Because I don't know about you, I've lived the last two years, okay? You've lived the last two years, right? In the last two years, have we seen a whole lot of opportunities for hope? Oh, we've seen a lot of opportunities for some stuff, okay? But that, it's like, it's like how, how do we really lean into that? And the way we get to there is we have to understand where we need to start. That's why today we're starting this series called Mindset. Basically, the whole idea is this. If we're going to find our hope in Christ, we need to set our minds on him. Because you don't just find God by accident, Right? Like God shows up in your life as the creator of the universe. So we need to be a mindset of him. And to be that means we're a people of hope. But here's the problem. You ready for attention? Most of us, we don't think about the way we think, do we? Just be very honest. Most of us, myself included, we don't think about the way we think. Like our minds, all right, um, exist in, as a part of our soul. And our soul is where our thoughts and our feelings come together, right? So as we're thinking, you have two things going on in your mind, your thoughts and your feelings. Which ones most of the time win, if we're honest? Your feelings, right? Like most, what's winning every single day in our culture right now? Your feelings, right? And there's a difference between your thoughts and your feelings, isn't there? Like right now, when I'm riding home today, let's just say I'm a little hungry, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to roll up into McDonald's and get me the biggest Big Mac you've ever made before, supersize the fries, add a milkshake, and throw an apple pie at the end. We're going to make it happen right now, right? The only thing motivating me to do that is not a thought, right? It's a what? It's a feeling. Like I want to be in a carb coma, right? That's what I want to be, right? And then I probably want to die early, right? Like that's, that's a feeling, but a thought would say, Dell, you need to be more prudent about that. But so many times, these things wage war, and if we're not intentional about it, one of them is always going to win. The feelings always tend to get the attention, right? 
I mean, we see this in our culture every day. Like someone sees someone attractive. If we, if we, if we go let the feeling run amok, the next thing you know, we're in lust, right? How many times have people's spouses been in a fight with each other, right? Fights happen. It's called marriage, right? But you get in the fight, and then all of a sudden the feeling starts to take over. And next thing we're feeling is, well, does my spouse even love me if they would say that kind of stuff? And then we're entertaining thoughts over here, right? Or an old fling shows up on Facebook. Next thing you know, you're sliding into the direct messages and the DMs. You're having this conversation that should not be happening. It's why. Because we have feelings about the way that person made us feel. And we're going to resurrect those feelings today. And I mean, these things are not outside of us. I mean, today, if you go and look, pull up any court, uh, I I saw the other day a statistic came in, and over 50% of all divorce filings, the word Facebook is in there. Okay? Do Facebook, does it, is it invented to invoke your thoughts or your feelings? You know, I don't even need to say it, right? So here's the thing. If our mind doesn't have direction, our feelings are just going to take over. And that never works well. Like, let's say when I leave here today and say, I don't want McDonald's. I want to go to Anchorage, Alaska. That's for something I want to do today. Why not, right? So I'm just going to go to Anchorage, and I'm pretty sure I know it's like that way, okay? I'm pretty sure it's that way. I feel that, right? Because when I look at the map, it's up there. I could just loop around Canada, and I figured it out, right? So get on the road. Just start driving, right? Three hours later, how am I back in Alkaloo? I don't know how I got back in Alkaloo. I'm like 20 minutes from me. I don't know because here's the thing. If I don't have something set before me that's objective, that knows the way of truth, I'm going to end up in error all over this country. And it's the same way in our life, in our feelings. We need to make sure that we're processing them the correct way through the truth. And that truth, we say no more than Jesus Christ, right? So, which really brings us to the big idea. And it's so important that we grasp this today because this is the springboard that launches us through the rest of this year. And that is this, you can focus or not. That's your choice. That's a really layman's way of saying it. You could focus or not because having a focused mind, here's what, here's all that means is this, you know where you're going. That's all it means. It means the direction is set. And when you know, when you have a focus on what is to come, it changes what is now. I know that. I've experienced that in like a a super mega big way back in November. In November, um, my family, I guess, got drawn for the lottery to get COVID, okay? So everyone in my family got COVID. I got it. My mom got it. My grandma, my grandpa. It was like, Oprah, you get COVID. You get COVID. We all had it. And it wasn't like diet COVID. It was like real COVID with real sugar. You know what I'm saying? It was the kind that left you just wrecked or whatever. Well, in between one of those minutes, when I was starting to feel better, I went over to my grandma's house. We call her Nanny. And right now, Nanny is on hospice. And if any of you have ever lost someone on hospice, like, I know that that's not what she wanted, um, and I, it, it's just tough. And I went over there because the hospice couldn't come because Nanny had COVID, all right? My papa's 92. He's stuck in a house. Um, and I, I had this moment of clarity, and I think this is one of those moments, maybe some of you have had them. Have you ever had a moment of clarity? You're like, I'm pretty sure this moment's going to change the rest of my life. I just don't know how that's going to shake down yet. You know, have that. That was this moment. I'm sitting in the kitchen table. My papa's on the other side of me. He's 92. I'm looking past my papa into the living room. My mom's in there putting the feeding stuff in nanny. And then it just hit me in the middle of this room. Right now, it does not matter where my grandparents worked. 
I mean, for me, that's like a big deal, right? Because for them, they, but there used to be a Campbell soup in town. They worked there 40 years, right? There's Campbell soup stuff in their house everywhere. It does not matter where they worked. Right now, it does not matter what kind of car is in my grandma's driveway that she can't even get in. I dare say, I don't mean this like in a rude way, even my grandparents like church attendants, they don't even bring that to the room of matter in this moment when my grandma is on her deathbed. The only thing that matters is the hope she has found in the completed work of Jesus Christ on that cross. That's it. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if you die in a car wreck home or if you have this long, prolonged thing on hospice. The only real thing that matters is your hope found in Jesus Christ. And, and how beautifully that's played out in your life, right, is secondary. In that for her, she spoke the life-giving words of Jesus to her grandchildren and her children. And that's why her children want to come over to her house, when she's at the end. That's why her children's children want to come over there. It's because she's passed on that hope to us. That's, that's where the whole moment that I sit in there, and I called my wife on the left and said, we got, we got to figure out life. <laughs> we got to, because like, like this, this is all that matters right now, is it's, it's how well did you love the Lord and did you pass that on? To, I mean, that's it. We got to figure out life. And really all that's going back to is this. They have laser focus. I saw the laser-focused resolve of my grandpa at the age of 92. And, and, and I think that's why it's so important that we stop and put a pin in it. So many times we think the gospel exists just for some evangelism message. It does exist for that. But the gospel exists for every single person whose entire being hangs on the truth of what that is. Without that, we have nothing. You need to hear it every day. You need to think about it every single day because that's where all of our focus for eternity comes from. And if we're not focused on Christ, what ends up happening is we drift every single time. I'm the same way. If my resolve isn't right, I always drift. So here's the question I have to ask. How do you captivate your mind? How do you do it? Because let's be honest, our minds are captivated really easily. Right now, I need every single one of you to not think about a pink elephant. Don't do that. You just, okay, that's a weird thought to have, right? You didn't think you'd wake up and think, I told you not to think about it. Some of you still haven't. You will later. You just did. Okay, that's the point. We're so easily captivated. How do we get our focus back? Well, Paul talks about that in Colossians. We're going to be there today in Colossians chapter 3. Um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He's talking to these people who are believers about where they should be going for their hope and how it should play out in their life. And my apologies if the translation is a little different. I grabbed a random Bible on the way out the house tonight. I promise it's a good one, though. All right. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look at that. He says, if you've been raised with Christ. Do you see the contrast he's making here? Because he's about to talk about death. He's creating this contrast that you were raised from death. This is about ability. This is what, when it comes to your hope, your future, this is about ability. Right now, if we were to pull up on this stage a completely dead person and a completely live person, which one's going to give you more action on the play? Pretty obvious, right? That's the point. The point is about ability. How can we even have ability? He's saying here, you've been raised with Christ, which means now you now have the ability where you didn't 
when you were dead. Being a Christian means you're no longer controlled by death. He's talking in the spiritual sense. This is why it always makes me chuckle and then mourn a little. Anytime I meet a Christian, he's like, well, I've never seen a miracle. How do you know those exist? Well, you were once spiritually dead, which means you didn't care about God. You didn't think the things of him. You didn't value the things of him. And then for some reason, now you believe in God. You were brought to life. I'm telling you, Scripture would say this. Anytime something goes from death and not being alive to living, that's called a miracle. And today, if you're in this room and, and, or online or wherever, and you have faith in Jesus, you are a miracle. He's brought you from death to life. That's why even as Baptists, we just own the heck out of baptism, don't we? Because literally what we just saw here at our 11 o'clock service was two people were baptized. Baptism means submersion or immersion because what it's signifying is you were buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of what? Life. Listen, what buries us? It's our sin. Who raises us? It's our Savior. That's the point. That's why we own this. You've been raised to walk with Christ. Then he goes on to say this. He, he, he turns it up. He says, set your heart then on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so now if you have the ability to possess this hope because you have the grace, what do you do? He says here, set your heart on things above. Set your heart in Greek here would render down in our modern language to this. It means to seek something. It means to seek something. It means we intentionally make seeking God a part of our day. Now, the fact is, seeking things is not natural. Like, seeking is what we do when we're trying to find something, right? Most of us, default, don't seek things, right? I tell you how I know. Like, you go to Walmart, right? Most, some of you have a pattern. You go to Walmart, you park on aisle four every time, because that parking lot's huge, right? You know how many times, have you ever walked into Walmart, parked on aisle four, then you came out of Walmart, you walked down aisle four, and you're like, where's my car? Only one, right? So next thing you're like, now, now you got to do like the, I don't know, the Walmart walk of shame where you're pushing buggies through other cars that trying to get to the other aisle to see where your car is. And next thing you know, you're like on aisle eight, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And, and you go to the most logical conclusion. Someone stole my car right out of the Walmart parking lot, even though I parked next to like a Porsche. They stole my little Jeep. That's what happened for sure, right? So I'm like pushing the button, nothing's happening. Then you do a little chin thing where you try to get it to get more distance, whatever. Next thing you know, you're like, what is going on? You look around the corner and there's your car. You're like, oh, that's right. I did park on aisle seven this week, right? Listen, you didn't naturally seek your car. You naturally just said, I'm gonna walk out there to my car. It was only when you saw something was wrong that you did what? You saw the car. Listen, when we're supposed to seek, that, when we're supposed to seek God, we're supposed to seek the things of Him. What that means is we need to be intentional about it. There's a missionary. His name was Frank Labach, and he said this: um, that he he had this watch, and you know, back you, people check the time when you're a missionary in the Philippines, preaching, make sure you're not going over, and uh, or just doing life. And someone once asked him, "Why is there a dot on your watch?" Because he had like this dot on his watch. And he, he, he said, well, the reason that dot is there is because I need to know the time often. And when I look down at my watch, every time I check the time, I see that dot, and it reminds me that I need to be seeking God in this minute. There shouldn't be one hour, minute, or second where we're not trying to pursue God. We don't accidentally stumble into this mindset. It's very intentional to focus on God. What we accidentally do is let our feelings make me think my car is stolen. 
And when Paul says, think above where Christ is, here's what he's saying. He's saying two things. First thing is, he's not saying, think about heaven. That's really hard, right? Because what is even heaven like? We have some ideas. If I think about heaven five minutes, I'm getting a headache. What he's really saying when he says, set your mind on things above, is he's saying, listen, we need to be thinking about the values of heaven. What are the things that God values, and are they in place in my life? Do we have those things? Like even in our life, we look at at Jesus Christ and we're like, hey, there's some times in my life when I don't feel loved, right? And when I don't feel loved, how do I want to respond? I want to get angry. But for God so did what? Loved. Okay, the value I need to pursue is love. Here, let me me burn it all the way down and distill it all the way down this. Anytime we are ever um, carrying out a value that is not of God, that is because we in some way have some flawed version of the cross in our mind. Or we have some aspect of the gospel that we're not living in. I'll give you a really good example. Um, some of us in here, myself included, you have some stuff done to you, right? Fair? Like somebody has done something to you that you're like, I can't shake this. I can't, it it may leave a a spot of bitterness or a spot of victimness. I don't know what it is, but I know in every single one of us, there's this opportunity for bitterness. So what I do is I take that to God. I'm like, I am so bitter right now. I don't want to be bitter. And then what you do, you take that thing and you just run it slam through the gospel. You run it slam through the cross and you say, God, I'll meet you on the other side. Work this out in my life. And then what really comes to my mind is this. Jesus, crucified, false charges, on a cross, in front of his mama. Did he have any reason to be bitter? I'd say so. Yet he looked down at them and he said, Father, forgive them. Okay, God, that's a part of the gospel of the mean. I need to be chiving with a little bit more right now. You see how this all just plays out when we set our minds? It's not just thinking about heaven. It's allowing ourselves to possess the values of heaven. And it also means this. It means when we see life, we see it from Jesus' perspective, not just ours. It means we live with an eternal perspective. I grew up in Sumter, and I grew up driving an 89 Mustang, um, and when I was in high school, there comes a part where your car starts to fall apart if you drive an old with long enough, right? And I'll never forget riding down the road, and all of a sudden I hear, and I was like, oh man, the, the thing that was holding my muffler on the bracket broke, you know? It's like, I'll just tack that back up, and then like all of a sudden you had to, my door handles, one day one just popped off. I'm like, I, oh, okay. So I put a new door handle on it, and now you had to like push on the top of it and pull the bottom so you don't yank it off. And then it was a hatchback, so I knew when I closed it, I had to push it down to the left, kind of like that motion, it would lock. And I was like, man. And then one day I'm hanging out with my friend Charlie. I think we were at Westminster Press because uh, we went there in high school. And we're hanging out. All of a sudden, my car just broke. I can't remember what happened, but I remember going, oh. And he's like, dude. And he, Charlie was my best friend. He comes up to me, puts his arm around me. He goes, that stinks. I'm like, yes, it stinks in teenage language, okay. And he goes, but what does that matter in light of eternity? Bring your Bible school into the parking lot. <laughs> He's right, though. I don't even know what was wrong with my car that day. But when we look at it in the lens of eternity, it gives us a perspective. 
This just isn't like, would you, this is like everywhere. This is found in the Bible. I mean, I just think you can look everywhere, but just take Joseph, for example, right? Joseph, whose main fault was God gave him some dreams and he told people about it. Maybe he had a little chip on his shoulder. But, you know, his brothers got together and decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to murder him. That seems like a logical solution, right? But one brother goes, nah, that's a little harsh. Instead, let's sell him to slavery. Okay, all right. So what do they do? They sell him to slavery, he gets sold to slavery into Egypt. While he's there, he lives godly. So he gets platformed a little bit, right, in Potiphar's house. Then he has some bad charges brought against him, and he gets canceled, right, sent straight to prison, and gets forgot about there for a while. Then he gets brought up, made second in charge in Egypt. One day, famine comes through the land. His brothers, his family is about to starve to death. But there's food, guess where? In Egypt. They go to Egypt. Guess who they're reunited with? Their brother. Do you think at any point Joseph had an opportunity to be a little frustrated? I think so. And scripture doesn't tell us what he thought. But what I love about Genesis is the person who wrote it knows what's going to happen. And when you get to the end... Joseph, he is able to feed his family, bring them to Egypt. And he says something that we need to hold on to. Some of you need to hold this on. You need to write it somewhere. I don't know. But Joseph says this line. He says this, what you meant to me for evil, God meant for good. There very well may be something right now pressing in our own lives that we're identifying as evil. And God's saying, you haven't seen how this ends up. You haven't seen where this ends up. So what we have to try to do in order to seek things that are above is say, God, as much as possible, will you please give me your perspective? Even if that perspective is just to hang on and forgive and wait. And that's where we really sit. Say, okay, am I really seeking heaven? Check your mind. And he he tells us how to do that. Look at the next verse, verse 2. He says, set your mind on things above, not earthly things. Okay, so what he just told us to do was to seek which isn't something you do by accident. Second thing he tells us to do is not just to seek, but to set your mind on things above. One pastor put it this way. If you think about your second grade teacher, that's called a memory. If you think about why you're thinking about your second grade teacher, that's called being mindful. Why am I thinking about my second grade teacher? Oh, because my wife's a fifth grade teacher. You you see see what I'm saying? Like getting behind why you're thinking what you're thinking is really important. It's called mindfulness. It's looking and saying, God, why do I think the way I think? Why do I act the way I act? See, it's kind of like if you were doing like an expense report and you're tempted to cheat on it. If you set your mind on things above, you say, that's wrong. I'm not going to do it. But if you go a step further and you're being mindful, which is what Paul's encouraging us to do, it's going a step further and saying, yes, it's wrong, but why was I even entertained to do it to begin with? That says something about me. So yes, you might have not went off on that person on Facebook. You might have typed it all up and didn't mash enter. Good job. Why'd you type it up? That's where God's trying to get to us to show us where the hope is. And in order to fill us with the hope, he's got to drain out the things that aren't from him. We need to set our mind that way. And, and I think if we're exceedingly honest, that's hard to do because I haven't figured myself out yet, right? Like how many times have you said something? You're like, why did I just say that? I didn't even mean it, right? And that's a fair, fair point. That's kind of like back to my Mustang. If I pulled it up in the driveway one day and I was like, all right, Mustang, I'm going to go to school. When I get back, 
that muffler better be fixed. Walk away. Come back out. What am I going to find? This ain't the movie Cars. That car's not going to fix itself, right? It's right there, just as broken as it was before. What needs to happen is that Mustang needs to find its way into a mechanic shop who knows it intimately and who has the ability, power, and the desire to work on it. Listen, in my own depravity and brokenness and wretchedness, the worst thing you can do is come to me and say, Dale, fix yourself. You will find some weird version of me you don't want. What we all need is for that Holy Spirit to carry us into the mechanic's office. Not just the one who knows how to work on us, but he wrote the manual because he made you and gave you the personality and knows what you need to chiefly express his glory and return that back to him. That's what we need. And that's where we sit. So the way we do that is, is we go to his word and say, okay, God, show me how to do that because I, I can't fix myself. Well, look at, um, Real quick, Psalm 139 verse 23 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Hey, God, will you, will you search me and reveal these things to me? I'm going to tell you that alone if you want to apply scripture to life and apply that one, the only thing I will tell you is be ready. Be ready. Because we might not like the answer we get when we searches us. He might, we might not like the answer because he might search us and then on the other side, he says, hey, yeah, that bitterness, that is a thing. And you need to get rid of it. But the fact is, what he'll then reveal to us is some of the reasons some of us have bitterness is because bitterness is something we can carry with us to make us feel like we're a victim. Forgiveness is something we leave behind. Some of us don't, we're not ready for that, for him to reach in and say, hey God, why am I tempted? And I think as we, as we dig into these things and the more God reveals about us that he wants to make like him, the tougher it gets and the more we realize, oh, this isn't gonna happen unless he's the one doing it. And I think that's where we need to pause this sermon right now because we need to acknowledge something. This is a different way to live, isn't it? This is not normal living. This is a different way to live. And I think it's, it's so different that it's not lived that much because how much hope is in our world right now? But if we live right here, what we see is our God is a God of hope. And if we sought him, we would live differently so when we have anxiety, sadness, I don't know, depression, it's so important. Instead of me just saying, oh, God, I'm going to sit in my feelings with it, going to him and saying, God, why? Reveal in me the thing that's tapping out the bucket, making the hope drain out. And I need you to show me where those things are so those things can get filled with who you are so I can be the person you've created me to be. We need to ask why. And then he continues in verse 3, Colossians 3, 3, he says this, For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now he's just going to go ahead and come out and create the contrast. He goes, I alluded it to it here, but here it is. It's this idea. You were raised, which meant you were dead. Does a dead person interact with the world differently than an alive person? I would say so. And this is what he's saying. For those of you who have faith in your heart in who Jesus is, you can't help but interact with the world differently than you did beforehand. What is standard is, shouldn't be the normal. We should be hidden with him. You were raised. Before Christ, you had a different way of interacting with it. But what does that verse there say? I love this. It says, you are now hidden 
in Christ. It's this whole idea that he's covering you in such a way that physically you're affected, emotionally you're affected, spiritually you're affected. Um, some of you have experienced, some, I, I've experienced something similar to this. Like I told you guys, back in November, I had COVID and it stunk. Like I was cold, cold, cold all the time, right? So I got a little man cave in my backyard. It's got a heater. I went up there and just slammed the heater all the way up and laid on the couch. And I'm just sitting there just like cold, can't get hot. And then I found something. It was a, it was a, it was a gift of grace from God called a weighted blanket. Amen. Yeah, got some amens from that one, all right? Have you ever had a weighted blanket? I got this 15-pound hunk of material, right? You just pull it over. It's like some WWE guys is like sumo flexing you, right? But it's, it's wonderful because like when it's laid down over you on the couch, all your body heat's just trapped in it. Like none of it's getting out. It's like, yeah, we're going to get warm now, right? And then my wife comes in. She's like, oh, my gosh, it's a sauna. I was like, it's awesome because I for once can feel my toes, and then all of a sudden, like, but the, the bad thing is, like, if you ever took the blanket and, like, picked it up at all, it was like this air would just rush in there. It was like somebody was dipping you in a hole in the Arctic, in the ocean. You know what I'm saying? It was the worst ever. But when I was there, just under the blanket, and that thing was perfectly held, and my little head was poking out, I was like, we are good. Lord, if you take me tonight, I'll be cozy. And it was, I mean, it was, I was really sick, so I was, everything was up for grabs, Okay. But I just remember thinking, like, in that moment, physically, I can feel myself, right? Mentally, I can think straight, because at least it's helping my body break the fever, right? Emotionally, okay. It's, it's very much a comfort. It's, if you have children, it's like when you swaddle your newborn. Doesn't that change everything? This is what it means to be in Christ. He's covering you. He's affecting you physically. He's affecting you emotionally and spiritually. This is what it means for him to carry us. This is what it means for us to be in Christ. You ever heard that saying, being in Christ? What does that mean? It means he is covering you. And then he gives us this promise here in verse four. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, just this past week in my life group, we did a word study on glory. And if you, if you look around the Bible for glory, that's a scary thing once you start mining, right? Because who's the one who gives off glory? It's the Lord. You ever done a, done a search on anybody who's ever interacted with the glory of God? Um, they drop dead, or they can't see, or they're glowing. All three of those, I'm kind of not, I'm a good, all right? Or if you look at anybody in the Bible who chose to receive glory, okay, their kingdom falls. They go nuts and start eating grass, okay? I don't want to receive glory from anybody. But the promise and the hope we have here is this. When Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. Meaning he's providing the glory and you can withstand it. Which means this. Way down, when it's said and done, you are victorious because you are with the victor. There's this guy named Stephen Covey. He wrote this, this book, Seven ha Habits of Highly Effective People. And I think we need to snap him with plagiarism because I think he ripped off God here, right? One of his things he says is begin with the end in mind. But when we think with that eternal focus, it changes every moment up till then, doesn't it? 
Like right now, just this past week um, or month, couple weeks, they finally broke ground at Pacala, which is awesome, right? They're dragging dirt, ripping up trees. Everything's great. And you know what? The, I, I, love, I love you. I love this church. I love this community. But I'm so glad I don't have to answer that question. When y'all going to start building again, right? Because this has been 10 months of when y'all going to start building. But the problem is we have. The last 10 months, they've been sitting down with blueprints, right? Like, Insane blueprints that I would, don't even want to try to learn how to read. They've priced it out to how much every nut and bolt are going to cost. So, and the reason they can do that is because they knew they were going to be building. Right? They looked at the end and said, we're going to have a building. We're going to have a church. It's going to be funded. It's going to look like this. And once they had the drawings, they worked it back. And now we broke ground. This is how it should be in our life. It should be in that we are always punched out to the end knowing who's coming, knowing there's glory to come for us. And he's our end game. You get to share in his glory. And, and, and what that means is when we, when we have this mindset, we're focused on Christ, these are pretty high stakes in our life. Because the first thing we have to do is admit that as believers, we do not do this well all the time. Right? I do not do this well. Maybe that's why God's like, you preaching this today, Dale. I don't know, right? But following Christ does mean this. In regards to your faith, you are 100% in. Let me say that again. In regards to your faith, you are 100% in. You're not 99% in, right? People are like, well, I'm a lukewarm Christian. Read the passage. God spews him out of his mouth, which means, what does he think of someone who calls himself a lukewarm Christian? Vomit. That is the opposite of accepting, of accepting something. You are all in or you're all out. And this is what he says. If you're all in, if you have faith, then what that means ultimately is this. It is a lifestyle of surrender. He came, surrendered himself unto the cross, so we come to surrender our will to his. And that is so difficult to do. It's so difficult because the things we want to surrender, we don't want to surrender. I read this quote online today, and I saved it on my phone. And I'm just going to read it to you the way I read it. Some people are broken because they don't want to get better. They get more attention that way. And I think if we are to get honest and say, God, why do I act the way I act? Why do I think the way I act? Behind that is some version of him who he wants to show you who he is. So how do we get that? Well, there's really two things. And I will say these are two things that if we practice these at a church, a year from now, we'll have hope. It doesn't matter if we are in the apocalypse at that time, okay? We'll have hope. And the first thing is this. Intentionally put yourself in God's presence every single day. Every day. Intentionally, right? Not by accident, because God's always there, right? David says in the book of Psalms, if I make my bed in hell, he's there, all right? But intentionality is important. Some people call this a quiet time. Some call it a devo. I don't, it doesn't matter what you call it. Are you doing it? I was, um, I was talking to some people this week, and one guy said, where in the Bible does it say you should read the Bible every single day? I was like, fair point, sir. Where in the Bible does it say you should breathe every single day? Call me tomorrow. We'll talk about it, Right? Because it's the point. The Bible precept, it has a presupposition that if you are in Christ, you want to hear from God. And if you want to hear from God, you read his word. Some people are like, well, I want to hear him out loud. Like we say, read it out loud, right? That's how you hear from God out loud. 
So that's the number one thing you can do is get in front of God intentionally. Second thing we could do is quite honestly have some objective prayers. Like it, we should pray our feelings. Go back to the Psalms. A lot of that is praying your feelings. But you should also have some objective prayers. And I'm going to give them to you today. And on the way out today, you're going to receive a paper. I, I would hope that you would take these a second glance. The first one, probably the hardest one, we'll start there is this. Your will be done. That is a really difficult objective prayer to pray. Because oftentimes when we pray that, the very next sequence of events that play out is, okay, well then I'm going to unravel where this was your will. And I'm going to show you here that this thing isn't going to work because my thing's going to work. Another thing that's really important is this. When we look at God and say, I can't, you can, and I'm going to let you. And my pushback immediately is like, what do you mean I'm going to let God? Hold up. Think about this. My son's going to bed tonight. There's a difference between whether he lets me put him into bed or he doesn't let me put him into bed, right? One of those has a lot more crying and gnashing of teeth, all right? So, so it's very important for us to say, God, I can't. This thing I'm bearing right now, I can't. I, I can't figure out how to do it. I can't figure out how to get here emotionally to do this thing. God, I need you. Another one that's real important, and this one's important because it keeps us centered, is often praying to God, thank you. Thank you is so important. Like, that's what I love about children's prayers. My second-year-old right now, um, he, my second-born, he's trying to learn how to pray right now. And when they first start out, it's all thank yous, right? All of it. It's a beautiful thing. We're at dinner table. God, thank you for T-Rex and Paw Patrols and cockroaches. I'm like, God, don't thank them for the last one. I don't want those. But like, thank you. It keeps us in perspective. Let's me know the world doesn't revolve around me. I have no entitlement. Another one, God, help me think like you think. I can't tell you how many marriages I've heard that have been saved because one of the spouses started praying, God, help me see my spouse the way you see them, not the way I see them. I can't tell you how many jobs were improved because someone said, God, help me see my coworker the way you see them, not the way I want to see him. God, fill me with hope. That's a real honest prayer. Some of us have been to the place where like, I got no more hope, right? That's, why, that's how I felt when I walked to my nanny's the other day. God, fill me with hope. And then I look and I walk in the house and Papa's listening to Charles Stanley, right? I'm like, oh, they've already got the hope. Or God, help me understand knowing that he may or may not in that time let you do it, right? He might, he might tell you the end story, but you might end up like Job, who didn't find out until after he died why his life went the way it did. But these are prayers that help us be positioned to be the people of hope he's called us to be. But I also think, you know, this text was written to believers. But if you're listening today and you're a skeptic, first of all, I just want to go to acknowledge you've listened this long or you've tuned in to a sermon, don't let that, just that glaring fact, go by you. There is a reason that you're listening. And the thing I would offer to anyone here who follows Christ is a very helpful thing to talk to your friends about who don't know Jesus is a very honest question. And that question is this, what, would, what if you were just mindful of God? Instead of, instead of just saying, no, I don't believe this, what if you just we're mindful of it. Like maybe even thought about if there was a God. Say, God, help me see you. You know what? It might play out differently. You might be able to have a conversation. But here's the thing. We trust God with that. It doesn't always play out the way we want. 
Um, right now, my brother, he lives in Florida, but he's one of my best friends, so we like to hang out. So we both are nerdy, so we went and bought VR, virtual reality things. So like, it's, like, it's like in right now, right? So like you can hang out in like spaces like this, but you're on VR, which is kind of cool, right? And the other day, I was in a VR room, and it was called like, let's talk about Jesus. There's actually a lot of cool Christian conversation in the VR space right now. So I was in there, and we were talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden, this atheist comes in there, and he's like, Hey, I don't believe in God and I'm not searching. I just, and I'm like, well, why are you, why'd you click this room, first of all? But I want to respect him because, like, he's a human creating the image of God, you know? So he came, he came in and we just started talking and he was very smart, very knowledgeable. And finally, someone in the room just kind of broke the tension and said, like, what would it take for you to even believe? That's a fair question, right? Because the atheist was saying, listen, if God was real and I felt I would believe in him, he was not a belligerent one. He was quite nice. He goes, what would it take? And, they, and, and um, the atheist said, well, if, if, if God, you know, help me believe. So another person said, what if some weird way he showed up right here and like revealed himself to you? The atheist told us, he goes, well, if I went back 3,000 years ago with a cell phone, I can make people believe I'm a God. I'm like, so, and that's why I told him, I said, respectfully, so even if God revealed himself to you, you would actively reject that. And that's when another guy in the room said, yeah, and he's doing it now because that's Jesus. And so many of us, we want God to reveal himself to us on our terms. You come now and you reveal yourself to me now. He would say, no, I'm God. I do these things on my term. I came 2,000 years ago and died for your sin." And then the conversation concluded with him still, I do sincerely, he said, if God would reveal himself to me, I would believe. But see, this goes all the way back to the beginning of when we started this conversation. It's about ability. So you know how I pray for, for him now? It's not God that you would just help him see you. It's God, would you give him the eyes to see? Because you know what I want for him? Hope. It's the same thing I want for everyone in here today. There's so much more than to just focus on now. Hope is found in what's to come. And that's why we are going to continue talking about this. But today, here's one of the things I just want to ask you to sit in. If you were to ask God, search me, seek me, know me, reveal to me the things that keep me from having my hope in you. I just want you to answer, would you be ready to hear that answer? Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope we have in your son, Jesus. I thank you that um, you thought enough to come down here and, and to die for us. God, for any aspect of you uh, and, your, and who you are that we may not be grasping, that may be um, leading to us not having hope, but to leading into our feelings, God, I pray that you would direct our path. God, that you would give us direction. So whether or not it's the infant or it's my nanny, God, that we have the hope that comes through your son. God, that our minds would be set in the right way so that as our lives are lived out, the destination is you. God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you that way, God, I ask that the only thing they're left with from us is a resounding, we love you and we know the one who created you. And God, that you would give eyes to see. God, thank you for the hope we have in your son, Jesus. Amen.